Knock, knock, who's there? It's the Has Been Hoops podcast back again. Chris, you're the new owner, of, well, a part owner of the Taranaki Airs. And there's been a bit of action uh, with the New Zealand NBL opening up their free agency over the past week. And uh, your team has been active, mate. A, tell us, as a newly branded owner of a, of a team, how uh, that's been. And B... Tell us about our exciting, I, I say our, like I'm part of it, but part of the, uh, the signings that so we've had so far. you're the one Western Australian ticket holder, aren't you? Um, Correct. We're starting here. Okay, let's do it. Uh, no, it's the NZNBL free agency open on Monday, and you know, we've had a, a list of players we've wanted to target. Um, it's interesting when you get into this inverted commas in real life um, and, and start – really discussing skill sets, uh, player nature, type of people they are, what you're trying to build, you know, what you actually want to represent. And we want to build a young team that, that's exciting to watch. We want to build a team that, you know, the Taranaki is uh, for a lot of players we bring in, we understand he's not going to be the final step of their career, but we think it can be, we think we can be an important step in their development to, you know, go from being a, a tall black bench player to a tall black starter, from being a fringe boomer to a boomer, from being a, an Australian NBL development player to a, a roster player. So we see our club and our program fitting in that and hope to develop high-quality athletes uh, who have that potential to take a step. And, yeah, the, the, the very first player, and I should preface this is one of – the things I've observed over the years from owners who've come in to various programs or companies is they always want to make change for the sake of change. That they, they want to put their stamp on things and and remove people who've been a part of building culture, and we certainly didn't want to be that. So the ability to retain Carlin Davison, who, you know, a lot of the Australian NBL, and I keep saying Australian NBL now, Fans won't be too familiar, but he's a development player with the New Zealand Breakers. He's as good an athlete as there is in the league, and you know he needs some polish to his game to become a, a rostered player. And when you look at the type of player he is, I, I reckon if there's any coach out of all coaches who understands what it's like to be an incredible athlete who doesn't shoot the ball incredibly well yet, but wants to develop that and has achieved success is Sam McKinnon. And so I'm really, really excited to see the impact our head coach Sam McKinnon can have on Carlin Davison. Um, when, and even when I was coaching the Melbourne Tigers, I was always of the belief that you want to build or you want to sign your local talent first. You, you want to get your local players in the best possible and our best possible that wasn't a part of the team already who fit our youth profile and our skill set profile was Flynn Cameron. And if you've been watching Melbourne United, as many have, you know, with, with Delhi being out, uh, with Shea being in and out, you know, 
Flynn's been really, really good in the NBL, just especially the last three weeks. His plus minuses have been off the scale, and we we know what Flynn's capable of. We've coached against him at national junior level, and he had the really big game. Oh, I want to say against the Phoenix, it might have been. And I'm sitting in the in the stand thinking, shit. I don't want him to play too well yet. You know, we, we still want to be the only team or the team in front of uh, in the front of the line for his services. But um, the fact that his brother Tobias, who's a, a very talented young player and himself, played for the club last year, and we haven't announced it yet, and we'll, we'll do it officially. But we've re-signed Tobias as well, so Tobias and Flynn get to play together, spend some time in the backcourt together, and I think on top of everything else that becomes really appealing so we've still got some really exciting players that we're speaking to um i'm still of the belief that you call people and have them say no before you just expect for them to say no you might as well get the no from them instead of just assuming so it's there's been a lot of work done the last month and a half we're wrapped to have flynn and tobias we're wrapped to have Carlin. Uh, we'll be bringing back as many of the local players as we possibly can. Um, but, yeah, that's the uh, the Taranaki airs and the NZNBL recap in three or four minutes. Uh, Mate, Mike, I'm, I'm going to jump Mike, from the, from wait, the wait, end. Before you go, before you jump. Um, okay, so tell, me, tell me what you got. You're, you're our number one ticket holder. Yeah. Best an Australian ticket holder. Uh only I, I, I remember Flynn and Tobias hanging out at the basketball courts at Gold Coast when I was with the Blaze because their old man, Pero, legend of the game, uh, would always have him down there. And uh, they played with a lot of joy, even when they were mucking around as kids. And so if they can bring that sort of joy that they had at the Gold Coast as kids now into the New Zealand NBL, I think they're going to have a lot of fun together. And um, obviously Flynn gets a lot of accolations and, uh, you know, he's done such a you, great you're job. You're rolling with accolations? Yeah, yeah I, I knew I fucked up and I knew you were going to pull me up on a Saturday, <laughs> so fuck you. Um, accolades. But um, I'm really excited to watch them both be on the court at the same time again because uh, two great kids come from a great family and, um, you know, it's hard to fill in the shoes of what Perro's been able to do in the basketball world, but uh, they're, they're finding their own way and it's, it's fun to see. Mate, would be remiss of us not to talk about Josh Kitty. Um, a lot has been speculated to this point and obviously it's sent social media into a bit of a stir Obviously, the accusations that Josh has been with an underage person. Um, this is where the NBA, for me, I think they try to co- they cover up stuff very, very quickly and try to move on from stuff very, very quickly. What's your take on what this past week has been like? Uh, someone who knows Josh, someone who knows Josh's family. Um, how have you seen this past week and, and what's unfolded? It's been incredibly difficult for a lot of people. And 
you know, before we did this, we do, do we even bring it up? Do we mention it? And we have to. My absolute number one thought is everything is speculation. And, and this is where social media is brutal. We don't know any facts yet. And I'm very, very happy to assume that Josh is innocent until, and I hope he's not, proven guilty. Um, uh, I, I almost want to leave it at that. If, if he is guilty, then it will take care of itself. And I'd be incredibly distressed, distraught. Um, I'd be saddened, um, A, for any potential victim, uh, B, for Josh and what that would mean to his future, given how bright we all know it to be. But my hope is that there is not a victim. My hope is that it is only speculation and it is just Twitter and social media uh, going crazy and doing what it does without, or in the absence of fact. So I think OKC's stance said a fair bit without saying anything that Josh's status hasn't changed and from the information they've been presented, there doesn't seem to be a reason to stand him down. So I hope that that's right. Um, I'll be as patient as anyone needs to be waiting for the facts and I look forward to hearing what they are when they come from a reliable source. Mate, um, let's move on away from that. There's been enough spoken about and a player you wanted to speak about and I love when you send me random names and I love when you tell me you've done a little bit of homework and research. Both of those things really excite me. Um, Craig Porter at Cleveland. I'll just give you the floor and let let you tell us why he's impressed you. I just think, uh, well, first off, most of his playing time has come with Donovan Mitchell, who sat out, and, but Donovan Mitchell is now, as we speak, back into the lineup and all that. And I just like when people, uh, unknown commodities, that go out and and play. And, you know, I think of a, a Jordan Goodwin who was at Washington last year, who did good stuff on a bad team, and then has gone to Phoenix and been able to do good stuff on a on a good team. Um, no one's talked about Craig Porter at all, and he just plays with a as a rookie. He plays like a savvy vet already. Uh, he's got as a point guard, he's light of frame, but was still backing down people and throwing pump fakes and getting people up in the air and making and ones. I just enjoy people when they go out and do the unexpected, not once, but multiple times over. And I think it started. In their game versus Denver and, you know, Jamal Murray would be in the top tier point guards in this competition and they would have 21-4-4 and against a very, very good Denver team. Goes out two nights later, has a solid game against Philly where I think he ended up with 16-6-4 or somewhere around those numbers. Not exactly, can't remember exactly what he landed on. Uh, and then I watched him again uh, yesterday and Donovan Mitchell's back in, so his minutes gets reduced. But as soon as he comes on, he has an impact on the game. And um, One thing from our playing days that you would always talk about, uh, your stars are your stars. You expect your stars to play well 
especially in crunch time, especially in finals. But finals are usually won by your X-Factor guys and the guys that come in and, and give you stuff that you're not expecting. Um, I'm not saying that Cleveland have all the pieces to go all the way in the East, but pieces like that go a long way towards you winning a lot more games than expected. And uh, I've been really... I, I love looking at someone and going, I've never heard of this guy before sitting on the other side of Australia. He's probably a well-known name over in the States, but I, I've just really enjoyed his growth over these past couple of weeks. I, lo- I love that you've given everybody who listens a- another name to go and look at and get on NBA TV or League Pass and go and watch some highlights. But I must admit, I, I watched him a little bit since you threw his name up. And, yeah, it's impressive. And, uh, you know what, it, it's interesting. And every year a batch of rookies comes in and every year we wonder how they'll do and we think it's a weak class or a strong class. But it doesn't the, the rookie class doesn't always have to be great in year one. And to your point, I love seeing rookies come onto teams that are doing well, learn what it takes to win. And it was interesting hearing the New York Knicks general manager of basketball, his name escapes me, but they were talking about Zach Levine. And Zach Levine is undoubtedly talented. He's undoubtedly can score the ball in the top few percent in the NBA, but the translation of, of Zach Levine's skill set into winning, it, it doesn't exist right now. Um, so for a young player who does have talent to bide his time to learn the game from and learn how to win, learn what winning habits are. Um, he's really fun to watch from uh, an old basketballer's, old basketball player and old, old basketball coach's point of view. So I agree, I'm going to watch more of him and I'm, I'm glad you brought his name up. Um, mate, speaking of old basketball players and, and people with set-in opinions, um there's two questions I want to ask you, the, and they're both around this this in-season tournament. Um, the, the first one is the notion that it's disrespectful for an NBA player to score the basketball in the last, if the game's insurmountable, that it's disrespectful to score the ball if you have possession of the ball instead of dribbling it out. You know, with the points differential in the tournament, and I've seen this firsthand. I, the very first year I coached the Melbourne Tigers, we were playing Sydney and nothing ever comes down to one possession, but we'd drawn up a defensive play. We were going to win the game. Um, we could afford to give up a two um, to make the playoffs. We couldn't give away a three because we would miss by quite literally one free throw. Um, and I still remember the play. Seth Scott got caught on a flare screen. Uh, King shot a three, we missed the playoffs. It didn't mean anything to anyone else, but we missed out on the playoffs. And a couple of the boys were in there celebrating the win and uh, I'm like, wow, I couldn't believe what had just happened. And I don't think anyone really understood or comprehended the importance of one basket until it sunk in that we just missed the playoffs because we needed to win by 11, not 10. so I'm all for playing games out. I'm all for percentage. I'm all for oh, – I think it's disrespectful to say that you're too good by dribbling it out. It's almost like a sympathy thing. Right? What do you think? 
Yeah. Um, you played in the NBA. I played college basketball in the States. It's something that's ingrained into them about being respectful. Um, it's funny that they also, you know, one of the number one qualities is they want people to compete on every play. And it doesn't translate that you can't compete on the last play to score an extra basket or to get a steal or whatever because it's considered disrespectful. The disrespectful nature comes in the form of effort throughout the game that puts you in a position where you're down 10, 20 points at the end of the game. And if a team scores on you, it's probably what you deserve on the night, to tell you the truth. And there is nothing uh, that I see that goes, wow, they're tough if they go try and fight the guy that just scored a basket in the last 10 seconds. Uh, and it might be a kid that's been sitting on the bench for three weeks in the NBA or, or longer that finally gets an opportunity. Yeah, mate, go score the basket. But it is an, uh, it's a point of frustration, to tell you the truth. Like, I'm sitting right at the edge of wanting to cuss like a drunken sailor at the moment because it just pisses me off. And uh, I think this in-season tournament is a good thing to try and change this around. And maybe it will take a team losing by one point to miss out on making it to Vegas for the finals uh, for a chance of winning a million dollars each um, for it to change around. But, yeah, it's just such, such a stupid, stupid notion that the Yanks have adopted that I just I can't wrap my head around. It's certainly one thing we don't see in the NBL anymore. I think we all understand the consequence. Um, another element of the in-season tournament in the NBA is a prize money attached. There's a, there's a $500,000 prize for each player from the winning team. And over the last couple of weeks, as we're starting to actually see what teams might progress, there's a lot of the, the star players talking about winning it for the young guys who are on smaller contracts. Now, are you buying that for a second? Do you think that exists in the NBA? How are you seeing the players' attitude to the in-season tournament? You smell that, Chris? It smells like bullshit to me. <laughs> not buying it for a second. Not not for a single second. Um, you... Uh, grew up in a, a tennis environment. I grew up in a football environment. Uh, we both made our way to basketball. I have no issues in saying that. The, the basketballers in general are some of the most selfish people you'll ever meet in this walking this earth. We, we, are, we are selfish by nature. Uh, and for NBA players that make millions upon millions of dollars, um, I call absolute bullshit that they care about the guys at the end of the bench and getting them $500,000. I just don't, I don't buy it for one second. Um, I don't know how you see it, but for me, I think that is a PR spin on us being good teammates or us being good individuals when reality is I don't think they give a fuck about the guys at the end of the bench. 
And maybe you can talk more about how you saw the connection between the stars and, and the maybe the, the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th guy on a bench and, and how that looks in the NBA. But um, I, I just don't see it. I'd love to disagree with you, dude, and make better listening, but uh, probably the extension of this for me is that if you're going to have one, if if you're going to have a stand on an issue, it's got to be consistent across all of your conversations and decisions. And as long as a player, I don't think a star player can have millions of dollars in contract bonuses for being an all-star or a leading scorer or an all-NBA player and then say he cares about the other guys on the team because by definition, he's trying to put himself as the best player of the team and he's more interested in his individual success and accolades and contract than what he is the team. If And I, and I wanted to do this when I coached as well, is that I, any bonus, I only wanted to agree to bonuses that involved the team winning. Win the championship, absolutely I'll pay you your bonus. Make a semi-final or a final for sure. But let's make that a bonus for the whole team. I think if those star players actually cared about the guys at the end of the bench, can you imagine, I don't know, pick a name, one of the guys that's come out and says, okay, instead of me, if I'm an all-star, $20 million, if we win the NBA championship, everyone on our team gets two. That, to me, would be putting your money where your mouth is. It's never going to happen for the reason you say but I agree. I, I, I don't buy it. I, I, I just don't. Don't buy it. There's been no M- I'm, I'm going to move on. There's been no NBL, um, so we, we, we won't go there. But we both watched a game. Uh, we watched the Southside Flyers play. Uh, and of all people, I ended up on the phone to Lauren Jackson the, the next day and the Flyers were down 21 at, at, at halftime against your Perth Lynx and talk about a game of two halves. You, you watch the first game and I'm, I'm writing notes about how disjointed, the, how disjointed the Flyers are, how they can't crowd out of the point guard position, how they all play in straight lines. Uh, they're missing the type of creativity that the Perth Lynx had. And then I chuckled as I crossed out every note in the second half and – I chuckled as, as LJ made a few big plays. I laughed as – and I say when I laughed, I, I was amused as Mercedes Russell came up big on the defensive end and anchored the Flyers' defence. And, you know, the, the inconsistency we're seeing in the Flyers at the moment, uh, I don't know the answer. It was a fun game to watch. And the Flyers found a way to win a forty-point game after a forty-minute game after being down twenty-one. But for me, again, if you're ever looking for a reason to go and watch the WNBL, there was some high-quality plays in the first half from the Lynx, in the second half from the Flyers, and I you know, found myself not moving from the couch and watching every minute of that basketball game. Yeah, it definitely was a tale of two halves, and. Um... One thing that the Lynx have shown that they've got the ability to put the ball in the basket and, you know, I really enjoyed Amy Atwell and what she's been able to do and uh, the way that she goes about her business. But um, Mercedes Russell, that that last possession, um, 
Perth had pretty much cleared out for their, their guard to go one-on-one. And as a big, sometimes we don't get the accolades for being the best defenders uh, on the perimeter, but her ability to keep her body between the player and the basket and then use her length at the rim to, to make the game-winning block uh, was just awesome to watch. And uh, like you, I, I looked at the first half and I just went, maybe the Perth Lynx are a lot better than what I thought they were. You know, I thought they'd, they'd had a couple of wins and they were looking good, and but I wasn't 100% sold on them. And then conversely, I was looking at the Flyers going, they should be a lot better than this. Um, and then the game just turned on its head. And uh, there's no doubt that there is no bigger and better tandem than LJ and Mercedes Russell in, in the WNBL as far as the front line goes. And when both of them get going, uh, I think it's going to be pretty daunting for any team to try and come up against. I think when they get away from running plays and, and get towards making plays when they've got that talent and find a blend, I, I think that'll help. I want to do one more thing on the WNBL before we finish up. I want to give a bit of a shout-out to the Bendigo Spirit. Um, it's tough being a small market team, a regional country team, and with a budget that doesn't match that of some of the bigger teams. And they got their first win on the weekend. They were 0-4. They'd lost their first four, and they had a convincing win against the Sydney Flames, who they'd lost two by six earlier on in the season. And as you, as you go through their roster and, you know, I know a couple of girls on the team, so I've watched a couple of the games. I've actually watched three of their games. But they were really, really competitive against the Townsville Fire in round one, which I thought was a real up at half time, really competitive. I thought the, the, the contest they made that against the potential or the reigning champions was impressive. They lost a close one the next round, then they lost to Perth uh, in a close spot. And, and you'd say that Perth, I would say, would have title aspirations. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Um, the Melbourne Boomers certainly have title aspirations. They beat the Spirit by two the following round. So they were 0-4, but every single game they competed in and, you know, to, to get the monkey off your back, to, to find that win and to do it convincingly and, you know, sometimes when you're doing things and you know you're on the right track but you haven't provided a result and you haven't proven it to your team, it can be difficult. So, no, no, congratulations from me for the Bendigo Spirit. There's some good people at that club. Um, they've got the Adelaide Lightning coming up in a really, really winnable game and then we'll see how they're really travelling when they come down the highway and play the Flyers um, you, a couple of days later. To, but just wanted to mention the Bendigo Spirit. Yeah, you said you wanted to finish up there for the... Uh, WNBL, but I'm not done yet. One more thing. Keep going. Okay. Uh, as many people know, I live in a um, in a house that is both basketball and AFLW. And last night, Mon Conti won AFLW's uh, Best and Fairest Award. So, shout uh, out to Mon Conti. Uh, probably, probably the best dual athlete we've seen in the women's game, uh, along with I think she'd be right up there with Elise Berry. <laughs> um, as far as what her accomplishments You're not, not going to go with Erin Phillips? You wouldn't well, I think, I think she's right there. List. I think she's right there now. Like, what more? You know, I mean, Erin Phillips probably still, yes, but 
she's a she's done a great job since moving over to football and, and still transitioning back to basketball every year as well. And um, they're totally different fitness levels, uh, basketball to football, but. Yeah, huge shout out to Monconti and what she was able to do with Richmond this year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really impressive to be able to be successful at two sports at any mm. stage, let alone simultaneously. No, I echo that. That's great. Can we stick on women's basketball for a second, Chris? Just one more thing. Uh, we can stick. We can stick as long as you like. Um, Izzy, Izzy and UCLA had a massive win against UConn the other day. Um, yeah, it's um, talk about a, a women's team I watch every minute of. It, it, it's um, yeah, he's, he's in her senior year at UCLA. Um, we might have to get her back on. We for those of you who've been with us from day one, we actually had Izzy on on our first pilot episode just to see if we could get the recording right. We didn't, but there's a little interview with her on there. But you know, really proud of what she's done the last. 18 months with, you know, three surgeries, a few injuries and finally coming back and having the opportunity to play meaningful minutes on a team that's now ranked number two in the nation, which is incredible. Um, I only learnt after the game and I, I messaged Izzy and I'm like, yeah, you did. You, you went and beat UConn. Everybody knows the strength of UConn. What I didn't realise when I typed it is UCLA women's basketball had never beaten UConn. So it was a historical win and Izzy got to be a part of it. I said to her after the game, and I don't think she'd mind me saying it, but, you know, I hope that Izzy soaks in. You know, you get a feeling that a team's special and oftentimes when you're in the middle of it, you don't realise until after. But looking at a group from the outside looking in, I just feel that this UCLA group's got enough good people, enough skill, uh, enough drive, enough of that underdog mentality. No, not all in the same people at the same time, but they're special and they're a little bit unique. And I think you need to be a bit unique to beat a team like UConn and um, then go on and win the game you're expected to win the next night. So they're 6-0, and they're undefeated. You know, their non-conference draw is, it looks reasonably comfortable on paper, but that Pac-12 tournament, or the Pac-12 conference, I'm sorry, is as tough as any conference in women's basketball uh, in the United States. So Izzy's going to have a hell of a ride. I'm proud of what she's doing. Um, I'm excited to watch what the team does, and I can't wait to get over there and see it in person. Well, in the short term, I'm looking forward to getting to Melbourne this weekend and uh, spending courtside with you and uh, Parky and Luke Kendall and Guru and Stabe as we watch uh, South East Melbourne versus... Uh, New Zealand and the Southeast Melbourne proportion has got me thinking, Chris. Uh, over the past week, a good friend of mine and a, uh, just a legend of the NBL, Damian Martin, uh, had it announced that he's going to get his jersey retired at REC Arena in Perth, which is uh, very well deserved and he's one of the most beloved figures in WA now and what he's been able to do, not only on the basketball court, but now as a host at SCN on the run home. But it made me think, Chris, there's so many legendary basketball players of the NBL that don't have a home to have their jersey retired. Would you like to see in the future the NBL be able to adopt 
common ground for everyone, for, for a few of our absolute legends of the league that probably deserve to have some sort of recognition um, of not, maybe it's not a jersey hanging up in a rafters at a stadium, but do you think there could be scope for something like that in the future? Firstly, congratulations to Damien Martin. He's I did the all-time greatest Australian players list and he was on it. And I think that's absolutely thoroughly deserved and testament to the fact that you don't have to score 20 points a game and be a team's leading scorer to be a legend of the game. Um, and, and never played a game of basketball in my life with him, but everybody will tell you that he's one of the best teammates I've ever had. So... That's first. Secondly, I've always had in the back of my brain that, and I'm one of those people, I don't have a home in Melbourne. Um, None of the clubs I played for exist. There are so many of us. Um, I've always had this idea in the back of my head that wouldn't it be great to get a a group of ex-players together or someone who has the means to be able to be a, a benefactor or whatever it might building like what Hoop City does, an elite training facility and venue that is owned or operated by or at least recognises almost a a history of Victorian basketball museum wrapped into a training court, wrapped into an event venue where the retired jerseys, the North Melbourne Giants jerseys that used to hang, the Melbourne Tigers, which actually still do, uh, the Coburg Giants, the, the Saints, all of those teams, they hang. The championship banners, they, they've got a place to hang and, you know, really acknowledge the history of the sport and the game. And I've had, I've had, so that's my first thought that I've had for a long time and it's something that continually niggles at me. Maybe before I'm gone, I can be a part of putting a group of people together to build that. Um, maybe it can just be at Hotel Trentham for a couple of years in, in the meantime. But the, the, the second part was... I've had an idea and I actually presented it to each club and it didn't get any legs. But you talk about rivalries. Um, the throwdown in Melbourne is building itself up to be a rivalry between, the, you said, the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix to start this and Melbourne United. And Melbourne United was always on record of say, as saying they want to recognise history. I would love to see those two clubs, as you say, come together and retired Durham McDonald's jersey together. I don't care if half of it's Victoria Titans, half of it's Melbourne Tigers, half of it's North Melbourne Giants. However they do that, I think Durham McDonald's jersey needs to hang in the rafters in Victoria and it needs to be seen every game that's played here in Victoria, at least every second game. But I would love to see Melbourne United and the South East Melbourne Phoenix come together acknowledge one of the absolute champions of the game, Daryl McDonald, who's seen that should be hanging in the rafters, do it together and keep it up there. I would argue that with DMAC should be yours, mate, um, not because you're my mate, but because your contribution to not only the Melbourne Tigers, but also what you did with the Magic back in the day as well um, and what you've achieved on a basketball scale and... and uh, probably were an inspiration to a lot of Victorian kids growing up as well with what you were able to do, not only at home but abroad in the NBA and in Europe as well. So uh, 
I'd love for yourself, I'd love for D-Mac, I'd love for Dave Anderson to get some recognition um, and have his jersey retired for what he was able to do for basketball in Australia. Uh, and the list could go on. But my, my thought was <clears throat> when the Melbourne Tigers rebranded to Melbourne United, I thought a good way of uniting it was on the concourse level was uh, paying the respects to all the clubs that had been through Melbourne and maybe showcasing what each club had done or a few players on the concourse level to really try and unite all Melbourne fans uh, at that stage. And um, uh, I feel like United is still the Melbourne Tigers in a lot of ways. It's represented in the jerseys that are hung up in the rafters and no one else uh, is really uh, looked at. But you're right, if, if, that a, you're not, if United and Phoenix could come together to recognise a couple of key players in this, I think that would go a long way in uh, acknowledging a few people that, as you say, don't have a home in Victoria. Um, uh, and a lot could be said, you know, whether it's the Townsville Crocs that no longer exist but have had a plethora of players that uh, would be on the cusp of getting their jerseys retired as well. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot there that that should be looked at. So it was a it was a, this was not on our run sheet, by the way. This was very much an off the cusp. No, it certainly wasn't. Yeah, no, we're really yeah, we we're just rolling now, and, and maybe we'll roll to a stop, mate. I'm. Uh, it's one of those busy days. We're doing this a day later than usual. Um, I look forward to seeing you in person Saturday morning. Um, Look forward to having your beer Saturday afternoon. We'll, let's make a plan to not record one of these in person. Maybe we're a chance. But um, everyone, thanks for, li- thanks for listening. Uh, give us a like. Give us a review. Uh, all of those things are really starting to help get this to where we want it to be. But uh, Wertho, I'll see you Friday. Everybody else, talk to you next week. Knock, knock.